Welcome to Homestyle with Shana Blades. Thanks to Red Energy, born and bred in Melbourne with a customer solutions team based here. Switch to Red Energy today. to Homestyle. Yes, this is all thanks to Red Energy, born and bred in Melbourne, just like Shana Blaze. That's Red Energy. My name is Jane Neal, podcast producer, and I am joined every couple of weeks, well, originally in the studio, now, no, we are doing it remotely like most of the country. And Shana Blaze, of course, is the interior designer, author, TV presenter, winner of the Celebrity Apprentice 2021 founder of The Voice of Change Australia and, of course, judge on the block. Shana, welcome via the wonders of technology from your little country home, The Block, going gangbusters. I get the ratings reports from Channel 9 and, I mean, it's no surprise, is it? But blitzing it. (laughs) Yeah, look, I I think, you know, the fact that everyone's home, most around the country, I I think um, it's really exciting, you know, for people to get to see this series. There's so many, you know, it's only the first week, but there's so many unique things about to happen. So, um, yeah, I hope as many people can watch it as possible. See, I have this issue that my seven-year-old is now obsessed with the voice and I'm like, get your hands off that remote control. (laughs) (laughs) So lots of family viewing and that's what I love so much about the block as well. It is a show that you can sit down with the whole family and watch. So we might just cover off um, a little bit about the setup to Fans v Faves this year on the block. What I found so interesting was the fact that the teams are going, oh, great, here's our house, excellent, they're all a bit different. Sorry, there's no floor plan. What the heck? So talk me through, I mean, obviously, like you said, week one, we haven't even seen a full proper room reveal yet. But how on earth do you walk into a design situation with so little guidelines? Are you feeling for the contestants going, they've got not much to go on? Yeah, I have to say we only found out about that when we came to judge the first room that will be revealed this Sunday. So it's a scary thing for them because there's so much they have to think of in those first couple of days, first couple of weeks um, of, you know, the craziness of what is the block, let alone having to actually map out the whole space. And that's that's really essentially what you need to do. You can't actually sort of do a couple of rooms and then work out how the rest is going to go. You need to work out a plan of the shape of the building right from the start. So massive amount of pressure. Have you ever actually had to do that? I mean, to me, this is more like actually building a home from scratch because some of them have literally only just got the slab and a little bit of a facade. Well, they, they did. They do have the guidance of you know where the garage is meant to go, where some of the plumbing aspects are better um, suited. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've done a lot of houses from scratch, and it, it's it, it is incredible. You know, because you have your little tick boxes. It's going to be two bedroom, three bedroom, four bedroom. What's the garage? You know, where's you know what type of kitchen, what type of rumpus room. But the things you have to work out also is um, the light aspect of like the north south facing. Um, you know, the west facing. How that's going to really work against you or for you. And then you've also got to work out, you know, summer winter, which is the best aspects. You know, north facing for your lounge areas is always a good 
thing on a real estate brochure as well as in your lifestyle. So it's all those little aspects that um, you've really got to think about as well. And what we have seen already, uh, if you haven't been watching along, no spoilers or anything, because I'm sure there'll be people like me who um, record and then binge in chunks at the end of the week. But we have seen a little setup between uh, Gillian Brenchley is the architect who's obviously going to have a whole lot of work to do to actually implement these designs once they come up with floor plans. But the guys from Love Island were adamant that don't care about a two-car two garage. We just want this huge master bedroom. We're going to switch the garage, do this, cut down a tree. And I'm sensing that tension between what you may think as a contestant is great and how you want to design a house compared to what the market will actually need. Like, you know, Julian's trying to say, uh, people in this area are going to want a double garage. They're not going to want a single car <laughs> garage. How do you think that's going to play out? Or in your experience, you know, is it difficult for contestants to remember they are doing this to sell, not to just look great one week, one off? It is quite funny because every series they are given the plans and there'll be somebody who will change it and it's always change the architect's plans at your peril because the knock-on effect it may not be just that room on that day. It's the knock-on effect of how it affects everything else. So maybe this was Julian's way of saying, you know what, so many people fight my plans anyway. Why don't you work it out? And to have um, the twins, you know, stand up to Julian as though Julian doesn't really know what he's talking about. It's it. I find that bizarre, but then it look it does happen a lot. And you know, the amount of times people will say, "Oh, judges, what would you know?" And it's like, yeah, we sort of do. But anyway, let's you know, they'll end up changing it in the future to to fix it. So it's I I think it's a really fun sort of jeopardy because. You need to listen to the experts that have been there before with a clear head, you know, that they don't have a clear head at the moment. So I think it'll be really interesting to see how this works for the boys. And I think, you know, it's always with with any sort of house and property, do your research in the area. And I'm hoping they're going to do a bit of that. Yeah, find out what properties sell for. And, you know, like I know from Under the Hammer, the real estate podcast that I do for Direct Connect, part of this sort of series, that you really have to look at comparables. You can't just go, oh, but that house sold it. Well, it's like exactly how much money did someone get for a three-bedroom, two-bath, two-car, and you can actually compare like with like, can't you? Absolutely, absolutely. So, and it's also with um, in the court and it's, it's quite, you know, quite tight, is that you're not just comparing with the suburb, you're comparing with four other houses on the day. So if somebody else is going to have something far and above what you've got, it puts you at a disadvantage. So as I said, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out or if the boys change their mind halfway through. I, I think it's, it's, um, it's a really interesting concept, but I think it also will show the value of planning. And how can you do one room without, like, do they absolutely have at the beginning of week one the entire floor plan mapped out? Or are they literally just building a room at a time, having a bit of a plan, but they need to do a master guest bedroom this week? Like, how do you sort of do that without really knowing exactly what else you've got to work around? That's the hard thing. That they're really relying on their builders' support as well. Um, uh, but, But literally just working out a little bit of a scratch scratch floor plan of like possibly how that would work and also working out the sizes of the rooms like 
you know, to me that can that can take months in the real world. <laughs> so the fact they're going to be doing it, you know, within days, um, it's it, I, I can't even imagine the stress they're going through to do that. That's pretty insane. We're going to end up with these little um, like two metre long sort of, oh, it's a walk-in study slash cupboard. Uh, you know, someone's going to stuff up the measurements, aren't they? <laughs> oh, look, I think you stuff up the measurements when you have your perfect plan. So, of course, something's going to go wrong. <laughs> um, and quickly, the fans V faves uh, concept is pretty good too. It is good to see people like Mitch and Mark, you know, back and those people that we have loved in previous episodes. Yeah, and we've seen a couple of series like this before and it really is that, you know, the um, the faves coming back for a point to prove sometimes or coming back to actually just go, you know what, we got it right the first time, we have to prove we got it right. It wasn't a fluke. So there's two different types of a point to prove on that one. And then also, you know, you've got the fans that that – they're seeing the bar set by what was there before. So it actually, as long as you're not fully intimidated, it can actually elevate you. So I think it it actually does work quite well to play off against each other of the, the newbies going, we're just as good as you. And the other ones seeing the newbies go, going up higher going, oh, you know, well, we've been here before, we've got as We've got to look like we're, we're not better than them, but we've got to look like that we um, know exactly what's happening. So that there's a different type of pressure, I feel, that comes with that. And it's not always about, you know, the um, the faves doing everything right because, you know, they would always feel like they've got a target on their back. Mm, and as Scotty uh, told us, we spoke to him a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, there are some fireworks ahead. So very much looking to forward to seeing how all the personalities pan out with this uh, season of The Block, which, like I said, is rating its socks off. Uh, Shana, just briefly, look, we started this podcast in lockdown last year and our wonderful sponsors, Red Energy, of course, born and bred in Melbourne, that's Red Energy, wanted to start a podcast, you know, wanted to give you the chance to share a lot of your wisdom and your knowledge uh, with Melburnians at first and lots of listeners joining us from around the country. So we do need to um, send a little cheerio, I guess, to everyone listening from Sydney. And now we have seen this creep of lockdown go up towards, you know, sadly, places like Byron Bay, which a lot of people escape to Byron to get out of lockdown in other states and especially Sydney. And now they've had a positive case there and are in lockdown themselves. The Lismore area, Cairns have had their share of lockdown. So Melbourneians may be kind of like, oh, we're just so used to it by now, lockdown 6.0. But for people doing this for the first time, do you have any little sort of lifestyle tips? I mean, you're a pro now, Shana. We've been doing this for nearly two years. It's It's almost like, oh, another one. Here we go. Um, Look, I feel that the mental health is is the most important thing and you know a lot of people get stuck into their DIY renoing to you know make their environment and their space feel not just beautiful but to be functional and you know it's interesting on Twitter watching a lot of people in Sydney that have been in there you know for five weeks and they're going oh god you know what's happening this you can you can just see their their mental health starting to go down and it, it's one of those things that you you can't keep doing what you were doing in those first couple of weeks. You have to change your routine. So I think that's the really important thing is that, you know, you now are in this other part where you're going, I'm going to have to be in here for a, a quite a while. If your routine every day is not making you get through this, 
change your routine. It might be the type of breakfast you have. It might be the time that you get up. It might be what you're wearing. It might be when you take your breaks. Really move it around so you feel like you're actually doing something different um, that can just create that little bit of difference in Groundhog Day. Always with my interiors, one of my favourite things to do is moving things from one room to the next room just to get a visual difference. So, you know, you don't always have to go out and spend lots of money um, to make a change. Maybe look at a cup, you know, maybe you're staring at the same artwork and it's not doing it for you. Maybe swap your artwork around and order some plants. I think that's really important. Order some plants and get a little bit of a interior jungle because one, visually it feels great and it almost could be like you're on a tropical holiday. But the other part is that it, it um, you know, does all the... Uh, the oxygen levels in your um, rooms. And I think that's really important, especially when you're feeling locked up. Yeah, and uh, go back and listen to some of our previous episodes if you haven't about creating a workspace, you know, that is conducive to that. So that's really interesting, Shana, what you say about maybe just moving things around, like not having to go out and buy a whole lot of brand new stuff. But if you're feeling that urge to make over, redo, I mean, you do need to be financially, I guess, a little careful if you if you haven't got work as regularly. A lot of people are on casual positions, but you can actually change a whole lot about the way a room makes you feel just by switching things out, can't you? Yeah, and also the, the position that you, you know, if you're staring at a certain wall, maybe it might be good to turn it around a different way just for a couple of weeks just to mix it up. And I, th- I think that's the important thing is have a little bit of an experiment, you know, just put a little bit of excitement in there. So it's, I, I think the exciting thing is with this type of lockdown and, and moving and changing is that you actually aren't by yourself. There's so many other people. And so, you know, just rather than just always talking about how hard it is, it is hard. Um, talk about what can I do to make it feel better? How can I make myself feel better? And, um, you know, if you're focusing on trying to make yourself feel better, you can come up with some good ideas, but also it makes you feel a bit more buoyant. And I guess you can actually, if you are feeling like you can tackle stuff, and for people who maybe who can't work uh, during lockdown, my sister's just redone her bathroom um, in South Australia. They had, I mean, pathetic really, but they did have a little snap lockdown. So she was about to employ a painter the next week to do all the architraves and the cornices and all of that. They go into lockdown. She did it all herself. She's like, what else am I going to do for the next like five or six days? So I guess there is that point where you can add value to your home if you do decide, look, you know what? Let's just paint one room every weekend or let's do all those annoying fiddly things like architraves and doors and and that sort of stuff. You can probably add a bit of value to your home whilst giving yourself something to do in lockdown. But also um, learning some new skills. I think that's a really good thing because maintenance tends to be one of the things that gets let go. Like, you know, we do a big, you know, change of colour, as you were saying, or maybe, you know, sew up some curtains or something like that. But even like, you know, the, the door handles that's sticking and, you know, just a few little things that aren't quite working, those little maintenance tips you know, you can probably do a few YouTube things on that. And, you know, there's so much satisfaction, like fixing a sticking door or, you know, a drawer that won't close. or And it's been 
driving you nuts. So those little <laughs> things um, of maintenance, you know, and even I'm just putting it out there, even just going around and wiping all the light switches and all the door handles that, you know, everyone's got a bit of a grubby finger. Um there comes that sense of achievement on really small things like that. So it doesn't always have to be these big ta-da moments. Um, those, little, those little sense of um, achievement means a lot because, you know, I see so many people doing sourdough and so many people doing that and it's just like to me that's just another thing that needs attention like people say oh sorry i've got to go i've got to feed the the, the um <laughs> the sourdough starter yeah and i'm just like oh my god this is worse than looking after a child like yeah. <laughs> so i did i never did the bread thing so that was just a commitment that i couldn't do do you know what? I have to thank you because oh, right at the beginning of this podcast, uh, we were talking about simple things and skills that people could actually add to their repertoire. Now, my mum taught me to sew. You know, any good girl who grew up in the 80s probably would have at least had home ec at school. But, you know, mum amazingly made all of our clothes really when we were sort of young, which did mean that me and my two sisters had matching tracksuits made out of a thing called knitwit. <laughs> Back- oh, I know, the knitwit. <laughs> It's like a tracksuit material and it was all the rage. Uh, But you encouraged and you said, look, start with something really simple if you're going to learn a skill like sewing or if you're trying to revive a skill you once had. Knitting, thats it's all over my head. Start with the sewing and you sort of advise, look, curtains, that kind of thing. So, Shana, I'm proud to say I picked up in hard rubbish. I'm proud to say that too. After Scotty Cam mentioned he was a hard rubbisher uh, last time on the podcast, I'm like, I'm going to own it now. But a mid-century modern house just down from me, they'd obviously had some sort of a little fire or accident with a heater and entire wall of linen curtains with the most divine sort of mid-century modern uh, pattern on them had been thrown out into the hard rubbish. And I've driven past and gone, what is that giant pile of fabric? Of course, one tiny portion of, I reckon, at least a 20 metre, you know, long section. It was a whole glass window at the back of this rather funky house in the area. Went and chatted to the guy and he said, oh, yeah, one bit caught fire. We're redoing. We're going to sell. Got rid of the fabric. I took it all home. It weighed a ton because it was really heavy duty linen. And cut off the bit that was burnt. It sat in my shed for five years and I just finished making a set of curtains for my new house. (laughs) Which I... Five years it sat there. Five years. And I'm like, Shona said, just make some curtains. And I've got a new Janome. And do you know what? The sense of satisfaction of repurposing something... I could never have afforded the quality of this linen. It is absolutely beautiful and just did a simple style. But now, you know, you've got a wood fire on and all the heat's going out a window. No, I've made the curtain. So thank you for the inspiration. I feel so proud of myself. It did take about eight or nine hours of Netflix binging, you know, with the sewing machine. But I got it done and it just gives you that real sense of satisfaction to at least have done one thing, just one thing and finished it. Unbelievable. So, yes, I would highly recommend for any lapsed sewers out there that you could uh, perhaps uh, take Shana's advice and just try something simple like curtains. And how, and how good is that? Because also, like, you know, the, the, the heavy fabric, the quality is, is so good environmentally for your heating and your cooling too. You know, we, we are very caught up in the modern world of, you know, very simplistic blinds. But depending on your house, it may not um, be right for, you know, your heating and your cooling. So, yeah. 
Well, look, Double bun. I would love some really heavy-duty blinds and all that, but I'm on a budget and I've just got to prioritise at the moment. So, you know, I, I kind of don't want to buy one blind and then another, and I'd like them all to be matching when I finally uh, have the money to do the whole house. But for the moment, I've got feature, funky, mid-century modern curtains. I'll send you a picture soon, Shana. <laughs> Now, Shana, we love getting listener questions here at Homestyle. Of course, it is all thanks to Red Energy, born and bred in Melbourne. That's Red Energy. And I must say, I saw you take to TikTok to answer some questions from people the other day as well. How did that go? That was great. I just thought I'd try that different platform of a, of a, um, a live stream and a Q&A and I put it out there and um, got so many questions and some really good ones. And um, the, the main thing is that, you know, People see what's on TV but don't know if it actually does work for them. So as much as you get all this inspiration, it's like, is it going to work for me? So just that that validation on a few things um, was what I found a lot of people were asking for. So you've swung me a couple of questions from your followers and from listeners as well. So let's just run through a couple. And, of course, if you do want to send in a question, podcast at sen.com.au. This one is from Vanessa and and Alicia Borden. What are some tips, Shana, for choosing the right artwork for your living space? Oh, so need to know this. To me, there's, there's two reasons to put artwork in those areas. One is a focal point and making an impact. And then the other one is to add a mood. So you can combine the two, but sometimes you're just after an impact and a focal point because you are selling it. You um, want to create something dramatic in an area for people to look at. You're, You're either selling it So you need to create that focal point and that point of impact, especially for photos and when people walk into the room. Then the other side is is really about creating the mood is more the personal personal part of it. So you can still, if you want, have the, the impact and the focal point, but if it's for personal reasons... Um, that you're putting the artwork up, you still want that piece of artwork to evoke some sort of mood. So I always say, what is the mood you want to create? So the mood you want to create, is it dramatic? Is it quiet? Is it thoughtful? So there are all sorts of things that you need to go within there. Um, When we tend to style for our interiors of a very simple interior um, for sale, you tend to go with colour palettes and things, you know, is it a modern interior or a traditional interior and you sort of do the subject that matches that. When you're going for a personal part, you're more sort of looking at what do you love, how does it make you feel? And very personal artwork should not be guided by the colour and it shouldn't be guided by the subject. It should be guided by how much you love it and then you bring it all together in the room by the type of frame. So whether you have a zero frame or whether you have like a black frame, a contemporary frame, a, a traditional frame, that's what makes it sort of fit within the room more as a design feel. That's really interesting. So would you then recommend that you choose an artwork first if you were doing, say, a whole living space? Would you choose the artwork first then if you're not just doing it to tie in colours to set the mood and then coordinate around that? Or do you think you can kind of tie in anything to a particular palette after the yeah. fact? Yeah, I I think, well, sometimes you can have a piece of artwork and you go, I want 
the whole room to revolve around this. Or, you know, you have a couch and you go, I want this whole room to revolve around this. So it, it you don't have to um, always do it that way. Um, sometimes you will do a room and then you find the perfect artwork for you, but it doesn't work in that room. So don't always think just because you love it, it will 100% fit. It might have to sit to the side of the room or in a hallway or something like that. Um, but definitely if you want to evoke a certain mood in a room and you want it to be calm and natural and you've already done the colours like that, you will find exactly the right piece of artwork because that's the mood you're wanting to go for. It's really interesting because, you know, look, I still watch reruns of Selling Houses Australia <laughs> in the Shana days and, and it explains it really. Like a lot of those artworks you wouldn't necessarily want to live with 24-7, but as soon as you walk into a room and you might only, especially in lockdown, only be in an open inspection for 10, 20 minutes, they yeah. certainly, certainly create a vibrancy, you know, those bold choices that you'd often go with. You know, sometimes also it's a... It's an economical way to create impact because, you know, if you have some a really beautiful piece of artwork with bold impact, you don't have to do lots of other bits and pieces to make the room feel alive. So, um, you know, one or two focal points in a room with artwork is perfect. If you don't have great artwork, you sort of feel like you have to do more sculptures and you have to have plants and you have to have a lot of things going on just to get that essence. Very good advice. This one from Kate Inwood. How do you design for longevity, like two-tone kitchens, dark grey bedroom, carpets, timber, vanities? Will these date? Great question, Kate. Everything dates. Everything <laughs> dates. So it, it depends what longevity you're looking at. Um, greys are always there, but our cool greys um, are slowly going out. So it's just keeping an eye on what those trends are. Um, long-term trends and short-term trends. Um, Two-tone cabinetry, It, if you've taken it off um, a brochure sort of look or, you know, a kitchen company that they're trying to sell certain looks and styles um, and you see it repeated a couple of times, that's going to date. If you see it in a brochure and you haven't seen another one like that before, it tends to be more personal so that type of thing won't date. Two-tone um it depends in the look and feel that you're doing because I, I do two-tone in lots of different environments. Um, if it's two-tone in a very trend colour and um, looks ultra-contemporary for now, that will be an obvious thing that will date in a couple of years. Anything that's with cabinetry, um, unless it's a specific period style like a, uh, you know, a Victorian or a deco or, or a, you know, mid-century, that won't date because it's going to an era. Whereas, you know, we don't have set eras anymore. You sort of think once we hit the 90s, there is no distinct style. It only lasts a couple of years. So if you look at any sort of new builds that have been happening since then, they all do date. So if you wanted to create a contemporary feel for now always try and add something in there that has an element of an era attached to it, like a deco, like a Victorian. So it sort of gives that sort of longevity to the space. Absolutely great advice. And our last one from Esther Duckham. Hi, Shana. I am wanting to get rid of my vertical blinds. <laughs> vertical blinds. <laughs> um, I have four glass doors. I also want to replace my window blinds. I have seven large windows and four small. How can I do that without breaking the budget but still look modern? Thank you for any advice. 
Oh, wow. It's, it's, it's also like what is breaking the budget? We all have sort of expectations in our mind of what um, a budget is. But um, the thing for me for window furnishings is maybe do it in stages if you can't afford it all at once because good quality you can't replace. And, you know, it, it is that old adage of buy once, um, sorry, Buy, buy cheaply, you pay twice, is yes. that, you know, you might get all of them done because you can afford only that price point and then the rest, uh, you know, after four or five years, they start to deteriorate and don't, you know, because you haven't spent the money for the um, the mechanics of it. Um, I think look at the areas that you will get the most impact first. Um If they're all seven windows in one room, maybe look at um, doing one corner of it first, like the lounge room or the kitchen, because I imagine it's an an open plan living. And really, really look at um, what we were saying before, like, you know, do you need it for insulating qualities? Do you need it just for light? Um, Do you need it for privacy? So, you know, if you're getting rid of vertical blinds, um, they're like a a normal sort of pull-down blind, but you probably need the, the block out and the shear. So a privacy of a shear during the day from people looking in, but also the sun, and then a block out, which is at night, gives you pure privacy and also protection um, from harsh sun as well. Um, You don't always have to do double blinds. It just depends what it's facing. So look at your windows that you're not over putting too many blinds on it. Um, it. It is something that you have to weigh up. I think it's not something that I can give you a definitive answer and that's why I want to answer it because I think you need to think about all the uses of those areas. I actually quite a few times in a um, open plan living don't put window treatments on all of them because it's windows that, well, I don't get direct sunlight. I don't actually need the privacy. So do I need window treatments Mm. on windows? So maybe have a look at that as well. Yeah, and think about what you can put perhaps in the garden outside of that window if it doesn't need to be there for privacy. You can uh, create a whole beautiful little uh, scene outside without ever having to cover it up. Exactly, exactly. Shana, some fantastic advice there. And, of course, people can always email us, podcast at sen.com.au, and you can swing me those questions from your social media anytime. Of course, you get inundated, Shana, but a lot of people commenting, especially on your Instagram, about how wonderfully giving you are with your advice and your time, even on social media. Good luck with the renovations. You must be nearly done. You told Scotty and I a couple of weeks ago that, you know, you were almost at the end. Are we going to see? finished uh, finished home very soon? Jane, we've had two lockdowns since I spoke to you. <laughs> That's like, you know, of course. It's just, it just keeps getting pushed. Look, we are so close. It's just, it's that last 10% that just seems to take so much longer. Um, but yeah, the, the lockdowns have not helped. Really excited because we're working on some landscaping, which is really exciting. Oh, and how um, good is so- spring coming up? I mean, you can feel it already. I don't know about your garden, but I'm starting to find bulbs that are popping up in my new garden that I don't even know what they are yet, but oh. Oh, how exciting is that? But I think, yeah, look, you know, everybody out there that's been through a reno that has a, an end date knows that 
it's a little bit of a joke, really. This is the end date and, you know, <laughs> a lot, unless unless everything, everybody's going to get fined to not um, work into that date, it doesn't always happen. So it's, um, yeah, it, it just it's just going to make it feel so much better when it actually is done. Good things come to renovators who wait, Shana. Exactly, Jane. You know that. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing a little bit of your time with us. We will let you get back to the sparky and the tradies and getting everything organised. And we look forward to uh, chatting you with, with you in a couple of weeks here on Homestyle. Fantastic. I can't wait to hear more about your place too, Jane. Thanks for listening to Homestyle with Shana Blaze. Thanks to Red Energy. Born and bred in Melbourne with a customer solutions team based here. Switch to Red Energy today. If you've enjoyed listening to the Homestyle podcast for Red Energy and you're keen to find out more about buying or selling your home, innovations in property management and real estate, we recommend subscribing to the Under the Hammer podcast. It's a twice-monthly podcast all about real estate with me, Jane Newell, and Stavros Ampazidis, company director with O'Brien Real Estate. The Under the Hammer podcast is proudly supported by Direct Connect, making moving easy for you. And if you're a real estate agent, agent interested in using Direct Connect, call 1300 664 715 to see how they can benefit you and your team. The Under the Hammer podcast. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts.